Happy Resurrection Sunday to you. Woot. Woot. <clears throat> we are so excited. This morning we get to hear stories from those who um, will be baptized later today and um, just a little bit different of a format. Um, and we hear, we hope that you just sense the unique hope that is resurrection hope on this day. And I just want to start off just asking the simple question, what is your hope in life and death? I'll say that again. What is your hope in life and death? Super morbid, potentially, but I think necessary and meaningful for a day like today. Um, we find that core to human existence, it seems, is a question of trying to figure out what is hope for in this life. I, I know that because when I um, got on a treadmill this week, um, there was a song that jumped up on my Spotify playlist. Um, and it, it went like this. Um, I drove for miles just to find you and find myself. All these screams, all these voices in my head. You gave me strength, gave me hope for a lifetime. I never was satisfied. Anybody know the song? This time won't you save me. This time, won't you save me? Baby, I could feel myself giving up, giving up. Um, Miss Nikki Nikki describing a soul longing and soul longing for a hope strong enough to stabilize her uncertain days, her uncertain identity. The core of the human experience is just this longing for something to, to help us find stability and hope for our present lifetime. If you don't agree with me, maybe you agree with Miss Nikki Nikki. However, a hope for this life alone is not enough. Um, author Leo Tolstoy it said this, my question that which at the age of 50 brought me to the verge of suicide was the simplest of questions lying in the soul of every person, a question without an answer to which one cannot live. It was what will come of what I'm doing today or tomorrow? What will come of my whole life? Why should I live? Why, why wish for anything or do anything? It can only be expressed thus. Is there any meaning in my life that the in inevitable death awaiting me does not destroy? Tolstoy in, in this quote is saying, it's not enough um, just to find a hope for our present days. There seems to be a, a necessary hope that somehow even death cannot extinguish. So I ask you again, what is your hope in life and death? Many times in the year, it's easy to, it's the stuff that down low, overconsume on TV shows, ignore the, the angst that creeps up um, when, when we inevitably are being asked life's big questions. But, but this morning on Easter Sunday uh, is a good time and opportunity to be able to ask the big questions, the reorienting questions. What is your hope in life and death? The Christian simply says, this is my hope. Jesus Christ is risen. I want to argue this morning, I want to put forward um, that along with the resurrection of Jesus are three hopes. Three hopes that form the basis of an entirely different existence. What we find in the resurrection is one, a historical hope. Two, a cosmic hope. And then three, a personal hope. So one historical, two cosmic, three personal I'll start with the first, historical. Um, the big idea here is that the central question of Christianity is, did Jesus rise from the dead in history? 
there's this temptation to be able to separate this out as merely just another spiritual experience in a bucket of spiritual experiences and options. But the, the central claim of Christianity and the central question we must ask for ourselves is, did this happen in history? Um, Pastor Tim Keller said this um, in his book, Reason for God. Sometimes people approach me and say, you know, I really struggle with this aspect of, of Christian teaching. I like this part of Christian belief, but I don't, I don't think I could accept that part. He says, I usually respond, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. Again, we often categorize the resurrection as merely spiritual hope in opposition to a concrete historical one. And when we do this, we relegate it to, to, as, to one of many religious options in this market of spirituality. But the first Christians would not be comfortable with our dichotomizing spiritual and historical. There was this early Christian author, his name is Paul. We, we, we read from him this morning. He wrote only 15, 20 years after the resurrection. 15, 20 years. This was sooner than, than the gospels were, were put, to, put to pad. 15, 20 years. It's like some of us recalling the world-defining events of 20 years ago. 20 years ago. Let me just give you an example. 20 years ago, um, in New York City history, uh, Aaron Boone, current manager of the New York Yankees, hit a home run in the 11th inning to complete a near-miraculous comeback against the Yankees' arch-nemesis Boston Red Sox. I was sitting on the floor. That's for you, Juan. And my wife, who grew up a Boston Red Sox fan, I was sitting on my floor as I watched this near miraculous comeback against the dominant Pedro Martinez, who through the whole first, what, seven innings, just unbelievable. And then with one swing of the bat, Aaron Boone brought all the city to its feet 20 years ago. I remember the moment vividly. The Apostle Paul writing 20, 15 to 20 years after the events of the resurrection, writing to the churches with vivid memory of, of everything that's transpired since, says this, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive though some have fallen asleep. That's the way of saying dead. Uh, then he appeared to James and all the apostles. So what he's saying here is, this isn't just a mere lofty spiritual hope. Most of those 500 are still alive. You need to dig into this for yourselves. If you want to talk to them, you could talk to them. This is of world historical importance, and you would be foolish to not dig into it deeper. Again, if this happened, then you have to accept everything that he said. If it didn't happen, then forget about this whole thing. But we think to ourselves, well, of course, back then they would have believed that. And also, who's to say that these witnesses were reliable? Now, I don't have all the time this morning, um, but you know, we will move into a series in the next few weeks after this, one, uh, this, this current series finishes where we talk about this idea that, well, of course, they believed that back then. They didn't have science as we understand it. <laughs> But if you study it close enough, you understand that it was just as implausible 
to those first century, first converts as it is to us today. We are predisposed to unbelief. They were predisposed to unbelief. This idea of an embodied resurrection. We assume that these converts were in this pre-modern concept where they just would have believed everything, but, but what if they weren't? What if it, it just was as implausible to those in the first century as it is to us? And we ask the question, well, are these accounts even reliable? Um, Keller quoting Pascal sa- says this, Uh, Pascal said, I believe those witnesses that get their throats cut. You know, virtually all the apostles and early Christian leaders died for this witness. And it's hard to believe that this kind of powerful self-sacrifice would be done to support a hoax. Did Jesus really come back from the dead? This is not merely a private spiritual hope and wish fulfillment. It is a hope rooted in historical reality. And if And if this really happened, then we have to accept all of it. And if it didn't, this is all a waste, as Paul was saying. But it's not only a historical hope, but it's a cosmic hope as well. What what do we mean by cosmic? This hope is bigger and extends beyond you and extends beyond this life. You know, as a a modern people plugged into 24-7 reality of like uh, 24-7 realities of the world, right? 24-7 news, constantly aware of the world's pain, suffering, minute by minute. The question that we're, we're, that's ever present in our hearts and minds is what hope is there for the world? If it's worthy of our attention, if it's worthy of our convictions, it's got to be more than just this lofty spiritual hope. And it's got to be more than just a historical reality. It's got to be good news and hope for the entire world. In 1 Corinthians 15, later on in this same passage, the Apostle Paul says, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. Paul uses this picture of first fruits, which um, is an agricultural term. I confess I did not grow up in a farm, so it's not a natural picture for me. Uh, but first fruits is this idea, right? That is, is the first fruit of the harvest. It's a promise of so much more to come. And Paul is saying Christ's resurrection is the first of death's undoing. And scripture's promise is that there will come a day when death will be undone completely. It's the first of something that, that there will be more of. And what that means, what he's saying in this passage is that, look, you know, Adam was the source of all of the rupture and the brokenness that we experience today. And Jesus is one greater than this Adam. And in the same way that this one, one person brought this rupture that brings about the brokenness and pain, there will be one, there has been one, who's, who will be the source of all of the world's mending. And he right, commenting on this reality, says the message of the resurrection is that this world matters. For us who long for justice, who see the pain of the world, who see the brokenness and the suffering that people experience, it says that the injustices and pains of the present world must now be addressed with the news that healing, justice, and love have won. 
If Easter means Jesus Christ is only raised in a spiritual sense, in a lofty sense, that it's only about me and finding a new dimension in my personal spiritual life. But if Jesus Christ is truly risen from the dead, Christianity becomes good news for the whole world. News which warms our hearts precisely because it isn't just about warming our hearts. It's not just about making us feel good. Easter means that in a world where injustice, violence, degradation are endemic, God is not prepared to tolerate such things and that we will work and plan with all the energy of God to implement victory of Jesus over them all. He says, take away Easter and Karl Marx was probably right to accuse Christianity of ignoring problems of the material world. Take away, take it away and Freud was probably right to say that Christianity is wish fulfillment. Take it away, and Nietzsche probably was right to say it was for the wimps. But core to the message of Christianity is that this has happened in history. And what, has, what, what Jesus has done first, those who are pulled into that reality will experience for themselves and the entire world aching and groaning with brokenness and pain and that the world's brokenness and pain will be undone. This is the great Christian hope. And we proclaim it every Easter to say that it's not just about personal wish fulfillment. It's not about private spirituality, but there's something done in history that will echo for all of eternity. But it's not only a historical hope. It's not only a cosmic hope. You have to understand that this too here, though it is way beyond um, your own private personal spirituality, it does have great personal implications. We've been in a series about mission, about God calling us out into mission. And what I want to say this morning is that what we see in his death and resurrection on this Holy Week is the climax of God's mission. And this is the, the truth I want us to hear this morning, is you are the object of God's mission. He did this for the entire world, yes, and it has great eternal implications, yes, but he also did this for you. that you are not a, a, a faceless blob in a larger blob, um, but he sees you particularly, and this mission was for you. How, how do I know that to be true? Again, in this same passage, the Apostle Paul says this, otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? He says, if, if Jesus were not raised in baptism, would not have any power, but because Jesus was raised in baptism does have power. This picture of baptism is this picture of how we as individuals get pulled into Jesus's resurrection victory. In other places, the apostle Paul talks about how it is that we get to participate. Yes, yes this, is a great, this is great news for the whole world, but as individuals, how do we then participate into this great hope? And, and the way we do that is in what we get to share together is in the realities of baptism. Because what we believe is that, that God in his love for us desires and invites us to participate personally and particularly. Romans 6 says, um, we are those who have died us and how can we live in it any longer? Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death 
We were therefore buried with him through baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too live a new life. Read that last part again. Just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. In baptism, we participate in his death, burial, resurrection. It unites us into him so that our lives are now connected to Jesus, who is the first fruit. And what we believe is that as we move into his death, burial, and resurrection, his work now counts for us. And today we're so grateful to be able to share the story of those in our community who are wanting to get in the water, who are saying, I, I, this is what Christ has done for me. We've been in, in talking about baptism. And one of the things I just want to stress to our community um, is that baptism is so much more than you testifying, um, like making a public statement. It's not primarily, I don't think, being a public statement thing. This is, this is about being united to the only one that can save you. It's about what he's done for you. Um, we are prone to make too much of our effort constantly, all the time. We worry, do I say the right thing? Do I do the right thing? Do I... But the reality of resurrection is that Jesus comes the whole way for you. There's just, you cannot bring yourself um, from death to life on your own. And if you put pressure on yourself to do that, it will not be too long before you crumble and give up. Baptism is about surrender. It's about you acknowledging there are things that you will never be able to have strength on your own to do and never be able to perfectly perform. And that's the good news. Because the Christian life does not say, look at me, I'm so much more mature than I was a year ago. It's someone who says, look at me. I'm so much more aware of the brokenness in me that contributes to the brokenness of the world. But in the place of my brokenness, I've experienced his grace that I could not deserve. And it's only in that place that I get to dole out the grace that's been given to me. So what is your hope in life and death in a world where you feel like you're constantly failing to live up to the standards that you have for yourself? What is your hope in life and death? In a world where you constantly hear the bad news of broken things and suffering and pain of those experiencing real tender pain, what is your hope in life and death? What, what is your hope in life and death in moments when you don't feel the energy to get up in the morning because there's, There's just nothing else for you to live for. What is your hope in life and death? In those moments of excruciating loneliness, when you feel like if if I wasn't around, it wouldn't make that much difference in the world. What is your hope in life and death? I say as a follower of Jesus or an invitation to follow Jesus, your hope in life and death is that Jesus Christ died, buried, and was raised. And on this day, we celebrate that he is alive. And because he is alive, you could be more alive than you've ever experienced before. We are invited through the waters of baptism into a new story to participate in this historical, cosmic, and personal hope that that we are invited to by, by the King of kings and the God of all the universe. What is your hope in life and death? May it be, may it be 
in the face of great suffering and turmoil, I gave my life to Jesus. And he's given me new, concrete, historical, cosmic, and personal hope. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you because though unworthy, you've made us the objects of your mission. And that you, you have a story that you're writing for the entire world, but the story of the entire world doesn't discount our individual stories. You, the individual stories, Lord, are, are a part of what brings you glory. And so this morning, Lord, would we just, would you just, would you just be great in our midst? But we ask that Christ would look great. And all our worries about how we look and how we sound and how people perceive me, it just fall on the wayside when we come face to face the reality of a great, great Jesus. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.